Let us remain standing for the reading of God's word. Beginning in John chapter 4, verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I, a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be at work in us as we read this passage, that we realize your excellent, manifest grace to us. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would extend that grace where it is least expected that your love would be made known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Before we turn to open up this passage, uh, just three bullet points. One, vote. Two, nominate. Or two, uh, pray. And three, nominate. Vote has to do with Tuesday. We have the privilege in our day and time uh, to be ruling authorities in this small way. And we're responsible as Christians for that. So sometimes because Virginia's elections are a year off from the national elections, they're not uh, well emphasized and well clarified. If you don't know uh, who your representatives are, what the issues are, look it up. The uh, Family Foundation is a great resource to uh, try to explain what the different uh, candidates you know, represent and stand for and the issues are. So we're responsible for that. Two, Pray. Uh, tomorrow afternoon at the Capitol, uh, Capitol Ministries, uh, a ministry we support with uh, David Anderson uh, leading it, uh, has had for a number of years a prayer walk and a prayer gathering at the Capitol. And we just come down and, and join us. It looks like a beautiful day tomorrow afternoon, uh, 5 o'clock, well, there will be supper provided, uh, walk around the Capitol grounds to pray, and then we'll gather together to pray for our government. The Bible calls us to pray for our leaders, the kings who are in authority, and in calling us to do that in the biblical times, it was when Rome was the empire and Nero and others like him were in authority. So if, if the Christians can look to God who's sovereign over that, we certainly can pray to God uh, in our day and time. And finally, nominate. Here we move from the, the outside the church to inside the church. As Marty said at the beginning of the service, nominations open in November for the offices of elder and deacon. I want to ask you to be praying about that. We do have particular need this year uh, for deacons. So uh, if you are one of the uh, eligible uh, candidates for a deacon, consider your willingness. If if you've served before or if it would be a a time to step up, we nominate in November, have a time of training going through what we believe and what we do uh, in the winter time and then in the spring have elections. And obviously this is a very important time of transitions as new officers are put in place uh, this next uh, next spring. 
uh, to carry us through in the time of transition as I would retire and the new senior pastor would uh, come in place. So pray about how God will lead you and call you. And also pray about those that you've noticed uh, serving in ways that would uh, be suitable and, and ask them if they would be willing to, to serve and, and nominate them in, in this month. I'm going to read more. I'm going to be bringing out more in the coming weeks uh, about this and keep, to keep it before you. Now let's turn to our passage. In this passage, we're going to spend four weeks on chapter four of John. I, last spring, Mary and I were reading in uh, Martin Lloyd Jones's uh, book on this chapter, a book three inches thick. Living water that's all devoted to this chapter. I cannot possibly spend that amount of time on John chapter 4, but we're going to spend four weeks on it uh, in, in this month, uh, leading up to our Thanksgiving time, the, the satisfaction of soul that is ours in Jesus. Now, this is just part one. There's an awful lot that we can learn and apply from part one. We find in this uh, section the love of Christ that is most evident where it is least expected. The love of Christ most evident where it is least expected. When I was in ninth grade, I was at a stage of life where inwardly I was beginning to rebel. I share this from from time to time. And uh, I was pulling away. Our youth group went to uh, uh, one of the Billy Graham movies that was circulating then, The Restless Ones. And at the end of that uh, movie, there was an altar call, the Billy Graham-style altar call. And I did not go forward at that time because actually God was at work in me, convicting me that I was uh, wrestling against him. I think at that stage of life, I wondered where I belonged, and I began to blame any social awkwardness I had on being uh, the child of a Christian family, in fact, a, a preacher's kid. And it was easy to begin to be resentful of that, feel constrained about that, and who knows what would have happened if God hadn't gotten a hold of me, because I was about to, you know, bust out. And maybe some of you kids growing up in, in church identify uh, with that. And what happened after that movie uh, was... Uh, it was fascinating. This passage took me back to that because my brother Phil was three years older. He still is three years older than I am. He was a senior in high school and I was in ninth grade. And after the movie, there was a group of girls who were juniors, among whom one of, was the one that would become his future wife. And they were inviting him to a Bible study in one of their homes with a new group that was starting up in, in Chattanooga. And I was, you know, the ninth grade tag along. I had a ride home with Phil, and I was just kind of standing there. And I didn't expect anything from that. They were that much older than I was. But when they turned and said to me, you come too. As a ninth grade guy invited by these junior girls, that just... God used that to touch me at a point that I was wrestling against God and they were inviting me to a Bible study and I wanted to be included. I wasn't expecting to be included. And that was when God's love was evident to me. I look back and see the hand of God at work in that. At the time, I just thought, you're speaking to me? You're asking me? And I kind of said, yes, I'll come without looking at my brother Phil because I didn't want that look like, what are you doing here? And so I went and I started faking it with them. And after a couple of months, God convicted me of just faking it. And I was being a hypocrite and called me to, co- co- to commit my life 
more fully at an older level that was a kind of a growing up of a childhood faith that, that uh, uh, when I was eight years old when I received Christ as Savior and Lord. I look back and see the key was that they reached out to me when I wasn't expecting it. The love of Christ is most evident where it's least expected. You can see that in this passage. You can't miss it. In verses 1 through 3, it's a connection between the previous passage and this one. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Last week we talked about the rivalry that was beginning to well up between John's disciples, uh, jealous of, of Jesus perhaps, that they're all going to him. And John squelched that uh, rivalry. John the Baptist squelched it. We talked about that last week. This passage you know, begins with that subject. It says, although it was in fact not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. He wasn't yet ready to cut off the ministry of John the Baptist. When he heard uh, that, he decided it was time to go to another region. That just gives the realistic historic background for this trip through Samaria. We pick it up in verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. The Greek word is quite literally with no you know, variations of translation. It is necessary. That's what the word says. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. But as I began to look at it, I realized the commentators were all over the place. Many commentators look at this and say it wasn't really physically necessary. Many Jews would go around the long way and go on the east side of the Jordan River to avoid going through Samaria. And so Jesus could have, with his disciples, gone the long way around. It would have added about a week to the journey. But Jesus, in his divine foreknowledge, knew he had an appointment with this Samaritan woman. That was why it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. On the other end of the spectrum, there are those who said, yeah, I know he could have gone the long way around, but that would have taken an extra week walking so it was necessary for him to go through it's just a very ordinary expression here it was necessary to go through Samaria Martin Lord Jones that I've been reading was kind of in the middle he didn't say that this was evident that evidence that Jesus had some kind of divine foreknowledge that the Samaritan woman would be coming to the well at this hour but he was being led by the spirit he had this sense of compulsion that this is the way he ought to go that's kind of right in the middle there As I just reflected on this, I thought, whatever your understanding is, it doesn't matter a whole lot if you understand that God is sovereign over every circumstance in life. So Jesus could have, in his divine knowledge, known that he wanted to meet with the Samaritan woman and demonstrate himself. Just as uh, later when uh, he heard that Lazarus was sick, He knew what he wanted to do to raise Lazarus back from the dead. And he delayed. The scriptures tell us what he knew and why he delayed. The scriptures don't tell us here that he knew he had this appointment. That could be the case. But it also could be the case that he didn't want to take the longer week to go around. It was necessary to go through Samaria. And God was leading him by the Spirit through the circumstance of it all. So that he had this encounter that he didn't know in his human nature that he was going to have. When they got to this well, there is an aspect of John recording all this about how hundreds of years before Jacob had built this well. You get the sense that this place where he met the Samaritan woman was built 
by Jacob, by under God's sovereignty, hundreds of years before, we begin to get the sense of God behind the scenes is sovereign over what we would see as chance encounters. This was a sovereignly orchestrated encounter. Whether or not Jesus had some divine foreknowledge that he was going to meet the woman, or whether he was just led by the circumstance to be there, in any case, it was a divinely appointed circumstance, and the place was even built hundreds of years before. Do you approach your life that way? Do you see the details of your lives under God's sovereign hand that you are placed where God would place you? You have relationships, opportunities, difficulties in relationships. The difficulties between the Jews and the Samaritans cannot be underestimated. The difficulties in circumstance are a part of God's sovereign hand, and sometimes it just mystifies us. We wonder, why in the world? And that's where faith comes in, that we say, God, not so much explain yourself to me, but we say, God, help me in this circumstance to respond the way you want me to. Give me uh, an insight into this circumstance and the people around me so that they will end up like the Samaritan woman uh, asked Jesus. They'll ask How can you speak like this? How can you respond like this? There's a difference in your life that I can't explain that gives you the opportunity to say, I trust in God. I belong to Jesus Christ. He gives me a hope and a love where you would not expect it. It's in those places where you least expect it that the love of God is most evident. Where you expect good relationships and love and all of that, then it's just kind of normal life, isn't it? But it's when you are going the extra mile, when you're doing the extra thing, when you're crossing a line that others would draw, that's where God's love is evident and expressed through you. It was expressed through Jesus here. In this sovereignly orchestrated encounter, we find something uh, about Jesus that's remarkable. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Just stop and think about that for a second. In Jesus' human nature, he was tired from the journey, but he was the one that was already doing miracles. I mean, think about it. Jesus could have sat down by that well, put his hand out over it, and gone, there's the water in a mug where he could drink it, the little show off. Yet Jesus never did miracles to alleviate his own human weakness and suffering, did he? He always did miracles on the half of, behalf of others, not for himself. This last Friday, we had in, in our church a funeral uh, for, for Tom uh, Mayer's wife, Jennifer, after her third bout with cancer. And uh, the parent of, of teenage sons and a, uh, a little bit older daughter, it's a young mom. And it's, those are, are hard, hard uh, circumstances. And Tom put in the program, in the bulletin for the, the funeral, a passage where Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm blew up and the disciples were afraid. 
You know, I had never used that passage before in a funeral. But I realized how appropriate it was. Because at the time when you're in the midst of that kind of grief, it's like the, the sea billows roll, rolling. It's really hard. Life is hard. And it can be overwhelming. And it seems like Jesus is asleep. When he's not responding to us, not helping us in that circumstance. The disciples sent, went and woke him up. It's like, how can you sleep? And he looked at them and said, oh, you have little faith. And he stands up and he commands the winds and waves and they stop. And they looked at Jesus and thought, who is this guy? This is the man who can command the winds and waves? He was showing the little fingertip of his divinity He is the one who created the winds and waves. Certainly he could speak to them. He is tired and thirsty, not because he's stuck, but because he chooses to become one of us, to lay down his life for us, to go all the way to the cross for us. And in this circumstance, in his weakness, he finds a context for showing the love of Christ where it's least expected. And he does it by accepting the position that God has put him in, sending him into the world to be one of ours, to experience our weakness, our temptation, so that he can be our high priest and lay down his life for our sins. Maybe God has placed you in a a place of weakness. We're not God the Son. We don't command the winds and waves. Boy, if we could, we would, wouldn't we? We'd make our problems go away. Instead, we're in those places of weakness And when we respond, God, how do you want me to respond in this circumstance? How can I glorify you in this circumstance? Then we find opportunity, as Jesus found opportunity, to show the love of God when it's not expected. When the natural reaction would be something different. So we have a tired and thirsty Savior, the Son of God. Become flesh. And in a place where he can meet this woman. In verse, nine, uh, in verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, there's a couple of things about this that we might deduce. The Samaritan woman is coming out by herself and Jesus is by himself. This is an awkward situation between a Jew and a Samaritan, between a man and and a woman between whom we know to be God, the Savior, and one who is religiously compromised. I'll talk about the Samaritans in just a second. And even more between the Holy Son of God and the sinful woman. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? Who were the Samaritans? They were the ones who were left behind when the, the southern kingdom was taken off into Babylon They stayed in the land. They weren't taken off. And they compromised with the faiths around them, with the Baal worship around them. They ended up worshiping in in, uh, ways that were uh, really faithless to God. And when those who have been off in exile, in many ways purified in their faith, that's where we get the stories of Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. God really, in that crucible, refined the faith uh, to, to bring it into a truer faith. When they were brought back to Israel, the Samaritans actually looked down on them. We, we lose that point. The Samaritans thought, you've changed. 
That's not true Judaism. You've, you've gotten puritanical. We are the ones that have the historic faith. And in some ways that claim was true. Think about the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom with every king compromised with the faiths around them. In the southern kingdom, only four kings were faithful in some respect. The rest of the kings were compromising with the faith around them. So the Samaritans were just like the rest of Israel and Judah had been in their history. And they say, y'all have come back and you just, it says you're purified. They say, you're puritanical. And the Samaritans look down on them. But we don't see things from the, through the eyes of the Samaritans. We see things through the eyes of the Jews. And the Jews look down on the Samaritans as collaborators, as compromisers. When they were off in exile, they were uh, compromising their faith. It was a hard conflict. It was a historical conflict. It was an ethnic conflict because of the intermarriage involved. It was a religious conflict. It was... Uh, all of those conflicts were there between the Jews and the Samaritans. But in addition to all of that, it was a, a conflict of lifestyle, of ethics. As we'll see as we get into a later part in this passage, Jesus knew, knew her. When he saw her, we know about this from the passage. He knew everything about her. He knew her sins. And she wasn't married, but she had other people's husbands. Either that or she had had five husbands and run through them, you know, just chewing them up. He knew her sin. And at that point, you'd think, well, Jesus should say, get your water, leave. I need to rest. Instead, in that circumstance, his love was most evident when he said, will you give me a drink? That was jaw-dropping to the Samaritan woman. She knew that she was scorned by the Jews as were all the Samaritans. But she wasn't just a scorned woman. She was a scorned and sinful woman. Perhaps she was there at the well by herself because the rest of the women in the village would not associate with her. And she had to come a little bit early, a little bit early to get her water instead of coming with everybody else. That may be why she was alone. So her sin, God used to allow this private encounter between her and Jesus. So that Jesus would reach out to her and say, will you give me a drink of water? She was astounded by that. This is a thousand times more than junior girls inviting a ninth grade guy to a Bible study. What in your life is a thousand times more? Where do you have opportunity in the bad situations, in the awkward situations, to respond with the love of Christ in a way that's uncharacteristic of our old selves, of the way the rest of the world responds, but that is evidence of the work of God in your life that you know his grace to you. So she says, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. There's no grammar in the original manuscripts. So the, the grammar is all a bit of interpretation in your translations. The NIV puts that in a parenthesis so that it's a a comment of John's. John, the writer of the gospel, explaining why why she'd say, how can you ask me for a drink? And John, the apostle, writes, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Or it could be that the woman herself said, how can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Hmm. She might have just put it right out on the table. 
And she was so surprised. We're going to pursue more about how Jesus reaches out to her. But I want to ask you, uh, where in your life do you have opportunity to show the love of God? Think about the divides that were here. There are historic divides. We have historic divides in our culture. And there are all sorts of different points of views about how to handle the historic divides, particularly in a city like uh, Richmond, you know, the capital of the South. And, and we can have our perspectives and everything, but do we have a love of Christ that reaches across that so that we can still have a debate, have a disagreement, have a, a point of view, but to say, but I, I do love you. Jesus didn't say, oh, that history about the Jews and Samaritans, that's just, that doesn't matter. He said, oh, it does matter, but I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Can you say that? There are religious divides in our culture. Matter of fact, we may find ourselves more and more because of things we believe the Bible teaches that we don't go along with our culture more and more, you know, like the, the Samaritan woman, and, and, and we might identify with her and think our culture scorns us, it ostracizes us. That's not the issue. The issue is where there's a problem. You have opportunity across that divide to show the love of Christ anyway. There are lifestyle conflicts in our culture. Lifestyle conflicts where people know that we believe this and that is sin. What they might not know is that we need to be clear to express is we are sinners too and we've found a Savior. We want to share a Savior with you. We don't change the definitions of sin because God has revealed how he created us to be. But we love you anyway. We want to show the love of Christ, not because we're patronizing. It's not we're better than you, but we'll reach down to you. It's we live in the same boat as you, and the boat is sinking, but we've found the Savior. That's how we reach out. In the 80s, uh, there was a, the brother of a man in our church who you know, contracted AIDS because he was a homosexual, and he was in the hospital in MCV. And it was at a time when it, we didn't know. It was just becoming uh, a, a, a fact that hospitals like MCV would say it's not contagious by air, so we'll allow visitors. And, but it wasn't for sure. And they went down to visit him with a letter that explained the gospel, and his partner was in the room with him. You might think, wow, that's, that's crossing the line, that's showing the love of Christ. Actually, for the pastor to do that, the pastor ought to do that. That's just kind of what's expected, right? What was astounding was that they knew that we uh, thought that the lifestyle was sinful. They knew that. He was a little bit surprised that I would come and visit him and walk through the gospel with him. What added the weight of credibility is that the men in our small church plant at that time, just about all the men that could, went to an apartment that they had engaged if he could get well enough to come out of that house and painted that apartment for them. They couldn't believe it. It was very much like, how can you ask me for a drink? How can you do this for me? And basically, I just said, this is the gospel. We live in the same boat. Yes, we, we call this sin. The Bible says we're all sinners. I just want to share with you where we've found a Savior and eternal life in him. The credibility was there because of the love of Christ demonstrated where it was not expected. 
Where has God placed you in life where you can show that? But the final point here is actually far greater than that. The final point is that God has demonstrated his love for us, for us, for us, when we shouldn't have expected it. See, that's our problem. We get to think, we grow up up in church, we believe the right things. We expect God to love us, right? Because we're lovable people. We're all the Samaritan women here. We all are like this. And we end up having to remember the amazing grace that is ours. Because God, while we were yet sinners, sent his son into the world to pay the penalty of sin. He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us faith to turn from living for ourselves to embrace our Savior. He has done the work to reconcile us to himself, though we didn't deserve it. We should be asking, God, you're holy. How can you speak to me? How can you reach out to me? How can you ask me to follow Christ? How can you invite me to, be, to sit at your table? How can you do this for me? When we're filled with the amazing grace of Christ in that way, it becomes contagious. We can't help but ooze it out to others. If we have to say, I'm making myself because I'm supposed to as a Christian love this person, we haven't yet got it. It's when we realize, We're all in the same boat, but we've found a Savior. Let me share that with you. That's what we're doing as we come to the Lord's Supper. We're taking to our hands the elements that signify what Jesus has done for us. And we shouldn't have expected it. We need to realize we can't expect it, but he has done it. While we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and gave his life for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we come to take the Lord's Supper to ourselves, that we would be filled with jaw-dropping amazement. We get used to the fact of things that we know and believe for a long time, and it's not a matter of discovery anymore. But let us never get used to it, that we would be reminded as we take the Lord's Supper that this is what you did for us. And Father, then I pray that you give us the desire to share your love and grace with everyone and to watch for the opportunities where it might be least expected. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.